Welcome to the Physician Pharmacist Podcast, a show designed to shed some light on a very unusual pathway into medicine. I'm your host, Nathan Gartland. I'm a licensed pharmacist and second year medical student. I'm also the author of PharmD to MD and the owner of the Physician Pharmacist Company. Most pharmacy students and professional graduates are aware of the possibility of going to medical school, but very few actually take the leap. The answer may be associated with the intimidating financial barriers, realistic concerns for burnout with an additional four years of graduate level education, or hopefully 100% satisfaction with a career in pharmacy. We are here today to talk about what it takes to successfully apply to medical school and use your pharmacy degree as leverage to maximize your chances of getting in. This will be the first episode of a seven-part mini-series where we will talk with other successful pharmacists who have transitioned into a career in medicine. We will take you through each step of the medical journey, starting at the entry of medical school, discuss USMLE step one, other USMLE boards, clinical rotations, applying to medical residencies, surviving medical residencies, and life as an attending. We have a very talented pool of featured guests who are excited to share their expertise in both pharmacy and medicine. Our guests include a first, second, and third year medical students, a surgical chief resident, a newly appointed infectious disease attending, and experienced internal medicine physician. We will also have an episode to discuss several financial perspectives to minimize debt, organize your finances, and build a pathway to financial success. This podcast and mini-series is designed to answer common questions that pharmacy students may have about making the transition, such as, where do I even start? How does medical school compare to pharmacy school? And can I work as a pharmacist on the side? And so much more. I look forward to answering all these questions as we take you through the pharmacist turned physician journey. In today's episode, we will cover topics related to application logistics, MCAT principles, application timing, pharmacy residencies, pharmacy boards such as the NAPLEX, adjusting to the medical school life, and reflections on a career in medicine. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest on today's show, Dr. Timothy Dew. Dr. Dew is a recently graduated pharmacist from Duquesne University and current first-year medical student at an osteopathic medical school in the Northeast United States. Welcome, Dr. Tim Dew. Hi, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for joining us today on the show today. Um, super excited to, to chat with you. And um, you know, now that we've kind of gotten your brief introduction there, l- let's take a few minutes to talk about your origin story in healthcare. What got you started with pharmacy in the first place? Yeah, so when I first started pharmacy, I really wanted to actually go into industry. And uh, I think at that time, I didn't really understand that pharmacy was going to train me more uh, in the clinical aspect. But despite that initial confusion, I ended up realizing that I really enjoyed the clinical aspect and that it was something that I definitely wanted to continue with. Love that. And so I guess with your pharmacy training, was going to medical school like always your plan? You you mentioned the clinical component was super important for you, um, at least how how you progressed through pharmacy school. Uh, When did you decide that medical school was going to be the path? Yeah, so med school really uh, definitely wasn't the plan to start with. Um, I think just as I went through pharmacy school and at work and on rotations, it was just a gradual realization that I wanted to pursue medicine. Uh, So, you know, really from, you know, when I when I 
went into pharmacy school and then to now my plans have just been constantly evolving and I've been slowly figuring out what it is that I've wanted to do. Absolutely. And so I guess let's talk a little bit then about, you know, the medical school application overview, because I know this is something that you recently completed. It, it seems like, you know, a lifetime ago with how much stuff you've done in medical school and, uh, you know, the fact that you apply so far ahead. But, mm-hmm. you know, so I guess for a pharmacy student and our graduate listeners, applying to medical school is obviously a massive undertaking. It takes several months, if not years of planning to prepare. Your tasks range from, you know, completing prerequisite courses, studying for the medical college admission test, also known as the MCAT, writing a standout personal statement, and so much more. It it also requires students to apply an entire year ahead of time, like I mentioned, necessitating quite a bit of forethought. So Tim, can you tell us how you were able to manage all of this while in pharmacy school? I mean, clearly it's possible, but what was your life really like during this time period? Yeah, so um, in regards to the MCAT, luckily for me, I was able to quit my job at the pharmacy. And uh, when I went back home, I actually made the decision. I'm originally from California, so I I originally made the decision to just stay at home and dedicate a good three months to uh, preparing for the MCAT over summer. And I really only had about two weeks of overlap between when school started back up and when I was going to take the exam. So I was really lucky to be able to, you know, have that situation where I could just uh, drop everything and uh, go to go to work studying for the MCAT. Um, and then when school came around, I, I just kind of ignored classes for about two weeks and studied until my exam came. Um, and then the rest of the application process, that was that was really something um, that was a, a huge struggle that I didn't expect. I was lucky to have a great mentorship from yourself and uh, from Bryce, who I believe is another guest on this. Um, and you guys really did a great job, you know, giving me the ups and downs of what I needed to do to get started and be successful in this process. Um, yeah, that's wonderful. And, you know, it was, it was a pleasure, obviously, working with you and, you know, sharing the, our, uh, lamenting on our struggles, you know, to get to the point where, we are, where we're at right now. Um, and there, there's a lot you mentioned in there that I, I'm hoping to unpack. So you had a little bit of a different experience because you ended up taking the MCAT exam, like you mentioned, over the summer. And so because of that, and you had a pretty good MCAT score, I think the best out of anyone I've talked to. Um, and because of that, it, it allowed you to have, I, I guess, an extra year of time or a lot larger of a preparation period to really craft a, a good application versus myself and Bryce, who were on our second attempt at the MCAT, struggling to, to do it during the semester. So our, our experience, I guess, was a little different in that approach. So my question for you is how how did you handle the added requirements to you know shadowing experiences how did you bolster your research at that that time period during that final year leading up to your application point yeah so i'll be honest i, I think I, I i think i really squandered that year um i th- i was kind of resting on my laurels that you know i was going to have a farm d um and that i was going to be uh getting all this clinical experience on rotations not really realizing uh, I think what med schools were looking for in terms of like extracurriculars and uh, in terms of the experiences that they want students to have. Uh, so I think, um, you know, I, I could have used that year actually a little bit better uh, in regards to what I did and the extra time that I gained from not having to go through the MCAT a second time. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. <laughs> mm, yeah, for real. But um, 
Yeah. So that, that's definitely some good points to bring up there as well. So, you know, for our listeners, I, I generally recommend that students or graduates actually start their medical school application journey by taking the MCAT first, ideally taking it in that final summer, um, when, exactly when Tim took it. And there, there's no sense in wasting time shadowing or, or spending extra cash to, to take a few missing prerequisites without knowing how you actually are going to perform on the MCAT. Mm-hmm. Because the MCAT is basically the largest barrier to getting accepted into medical school, especially for higher qualified or, I guess, more extensively experienced applicants like most pharmacy students would be. So I want to emphasize to our listeners that the MCAT is by far the largest barrier for medical school applicants. And once this is out of the way, most pharmacy professionals should be in pretty good shape to fine tune their application. So how did you, I, I want to know, because you, you did exceptionally well on the MCAT. And I, I want to know, how did you tackle just studying for this exam? Did it really translate from pharmacy school, like your baseline education in pharmacy? Or how did you readjust? Because I, I got slapped in the face the first time I took it. Yeah, so I think the the MCAT, you know, it's it's a basic science exam um, as well as uh, a lot of reading comprehension. Uh, I think I've always had a strong background with reading comprehension, and then the science aspect. We did get a lot of it from uh, from our classes. You know, we we've covered this material multiple times from high school, you know, to undergrad to to farm school itself. So we had a lot of that basis, and I think I just tried to build on that. Um, Again, like I, I had these three months that I set aside and every single day, basically, I, I had a plan for that day. And, you know, I, I went on Reddit and looked at all the, uh, the advice that people had and came up with uh, a study schedule that, that worked for me. And then just kind of got to work uh, studying, you know, as many hours a day as I could. Uh, and, you know, just I, I knew that this was going to be a tough process. But as you said, this is the biggest barrier um, pretty much to getting in and I knew I had to do well on it. So I really focused on this and I knew that, you know, if I, if I put in the work, I could, uh, hopefully come out with a, with a good score and it ended up working out pretty well for me. And I'm not sure if you're comfortable or not, but do you mind sharing what percentile your score was? Uh, yeah, it was the 97th percentile. (laughs) Wow. So a lot higher than mine, but I digress. (laughs) Um, so I've referenced a few times already that, you know, some pharmacy students will need to examine their prerequisites to make sure they are compliant with the medical school standards. Do you have any, did you have any issues, I suppose, with prerequisites? And what would you recommend students do in a similar position? Yeah, this was, this was actually a huge issue for me. Um, not so much as the, the classes itself. So most of my pharmacy school classes did trans, uh, translate over and were acceptable. I only needed to take uh, physics two, and that was not even for most schools. There was just a handful of schools that I was applying to that required me to take physics two. So I just did that at another school to save some money and did it on the side, and it was not really much of an issue. The only thing I have to say for that is make sure you look very carefully at whatever schools you're applying to because they all define what counts for different categories in different ways. So you're going to want to make sure that your courses actually do match up for them and that you actually have met all the requirements for all the schools. Because some of them you will not actually meet the requirements for if you read what they say. And it's up to you to decide whether or not you want to take the extra courses, whether or not it's worth the extra money to take the extra courses just for this one or two schools. Because most of your courses, I believe, should transfer or uh, translate over and be counted as uh, successful credits that will count towards your application. Yeah, that's really. Cool. Yeah, go ahead. 
I was just going to say the biggest thing for me actually was, was my degree. Um, having the farm D I thought would mean that I was good to, uh, prerequisite wise for every single school. Uh, unfortunately, some schools say that they require bachelors and some schools take that literally. And I actually ran into a few schools that wouldn't let me uh, apply just because I didn't have an actual bachelor's degree. I kind of assumed that uh, having a farm D would be, would be considered <laughs> sufficient. Um, but that's something to, if you see that on a website, something to definitely contact the admissions office and see if they're going to accept your higher degree. If you, if you don't have a bachelor's degree, though, I know some pharmacy schools do allow you to have a bachelor graduate with bachelor's. Wow, there, there were a lot of great nuggets in that right there. So um, I just want to emphasize that that's a great point that you 100% should reach out to some of the programs and make sure on your first point that all of your prerequisites are going to be accepted. Mm -hmm. So make sure you don't, you're not throwing away cash to you know programs that you don't have the prerequisites for. And you have to decide, like you said, whether or not that's going to be worth applying to it. Now, let's say that program that, that you're interested in is in your home state, right down the street from your family well, then you might have to actually take that extra course. Right. Um, and it really depends too on your, your baseline pharmacy education. And like you mentioned, like I didn't have physics too as well. Um, and so that was another challenge of finding a, a program that would accept that. And then also having to transfer in additional transcripts and everything. So it mm -hmm. did add a little bit of an extra headache to the process, but nothing too, uh, too crazy. And then, um, yeah, that's also a great point bringing up the fact that that is a common issue with a lot of these non-traditional applicants is that if you don't have that standard bachelor's degree, it can actually hold up your application. And I write about this a little bit in my book and I, I came across it and I was bewildered, like you mentioned uh, with your, with your own personal experiences, you know, how, how is this farm D not acceptable, but mm -hmm. a, a bachelor's somehow out, outranks that. And I think the best advice you, you said was to, to definitely reach out to a program that might, have uh, some kind of discrepancy or issue uh, with that in your application and do proactively reach out before you've allowed this application to fall into the trash bin or before you get lost in all the, the wait lists and everything like that. So that's, that's a great tip to, to reach out to these programs and make sure there's not, it's not a lot of programs that do this. I, mm -hmm. I will say, at least in my experience, um, but there are a handful, I'd say probably five that I can think of that that would had issues with this. But um, all right, so transitioning into a slightly different topic, but students are always wondering how many programs should they apply to? Do you mind briefly sharing how many schools you applied to? Yeah, I applied to 27 MD schools and five DO schools. And would you say that's above the average or a little bit higher or lower? Or do you think you applied to too few, too many? I think <laughs> I'm trying to remember the stats that I looked up when I was applying. I think it was a little bit uh, around maybe the low end of average. Um, if, if I even hit average people, some people applied to quite a few schools. Um, but I think that that was around a, a good number that I decided to stop at. Um, Cause I also had to consider my, my financial status at, at the time as well. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And I think a lot, the best way to answer this question is, you know, how qualified is the applicant? Are you looking at a, do you have a noble prize and you're, you know, perfect MCAT score and you have a 4.0 GPA? Well, you know, you might not need to apply to 55 different programs because you're likely to get into the first three that see your application versus, you know, someone who has slightly less qualified at or is, you know, looking for, very specific metrics in a, a particular medical school, like ones that have very strong research background or, or so on. Um, so there, there's other things to consider, especially. So I think that's a good way to to tackle the, how many programs should you apply to? Well, you know, how competitive are you? How how much money do you have to throw, at, throw into the wind? So exactly. th there's a lot of other features, but good answer. Um, so in my book, PharmD to MD, I argue that a bad medical school application list can sink even the most prestigious pharmacy applicant. This would include applying too heavily to quote-unquote reach programs, low-yield programs, and programs with heavy in-state bias. You mentioned already, but as a California native, how did this impact your application decisions? Perhaps you can explain the, the California application dilemma. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough being a, an applicant from California. So I still apply to pretty much every California school. I did know that my chances of getting in, with especially with my demographic, were uh, pretty low. Um, so I had to apply very broadly to make up for this. And I really looked into uh, each school's applicant profile to see the percentage of their out-of-state applica uh, applicants and then how many of those were accepted. Uh, how many of them got interviews and so on. Uh, I also made sure to check, you know, uh, what minorities they let in. Um, and from there, I was able to uh, kind of make my decisions about where I was going to apply. I think uh, the, the California market or for the California application is extremely difficult just because it's such a destination for everybody. And then also you have all the California students who want to stay there as well. Um, so you really do need to take in where you're from and where you think you can get in with regards to the out-of-state applicant profile for each school? Yeah, that's a good point. Is I, I've thrown away quite a bit of money applying to programs that had very heavy in-state bias, and mm -hmm. that's, that's something you know I wish I had paid a little bit more attention to. I, I guess like going off off script a little bit. Do you think that for students who might be originally from California but are in pharmacy schools in different states? Would, do you think it would be fortuitous for them to potentially change their uh, permanent residency status when it comes to applying to potentially like states that have a lot of medical schools, like New York State or or Pennsylvania that has you know upwards of nine medical schools? Yeah, I think uh, I, I really seriously considered doing that. The only reason I didn't was because I was hoping if I did get a school in California, then. I would just end up staying there and I didn't want the, I didn't want the hassle though. So, you know, again, hindsight, I think it might've been a wise idea to, to change my residency to a different state, perhaps um, Pennsylvania. I do remember they, they don't have the biggest in-state bias. There's uh, maybe one or two schools with a huge in-state bias that I didn't actually end up applying to. But if you're thinking about other, other States that have a much larger in-state bias, then that's definitely something I would consider doing. Awesome. And I also believe you applied to, to pharmacy residencies on top of medical schools. So yes. this is something that I never got around to personally, and I'm very curious to learn more. 
What motivated you to apply to pharmacy residencies? And would you have entered the match if you hadn't gotten an acceptance sooner? Yeah, honestly, I was really just looking for security. Um, <laughs> it took a long time for me to get my first acceptance. And I wasn't sure where I was going to end up. And uh, I, I, I thought, you know, if I, if I don't get into med school, I definitely want to do a residency. And that'll be a great way to gain some incredible experience in a gap year. Um, because I was still going to apply after uh, first year residency, most likely. So I, I had no acceptances at that time. And I, so I just started the process. And I think if I hadn't gotten an acceptance, I would have entered the match. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that would have made you extremely qualified for a position in the future uh, or to apply to medical school in the future because you had the, the grades and everything for it too. <laughs> and, you know, for our listeners, this it's pretty crazy how long the, the application cycle is for medical school. A lot of the, the forethought goes in and you're planning in April of the previous year. And then you apply in June and then you get everything pushed out in July. And then you're sitting there filling out secondary applications until mid-September. And then you're waiting for interviews to come through anytime from September all the way till I guess the March of the next year. Yeah. And you can still not have a single acceptance and then hear from a school may in the middle of may you know crazy things have happened so it, it's pretty stressful especially for a lot of applicants not just pharmacy students but a lot of applicants who are trying to plan their life around these this momentous moments and you're sitting there waiting for just a single email to come through <laughs> it's pretty crazy <clears throat> but um anyway so for pharmacy students listening in what do you think they should be doing to make themselves competitive for medical school or potentially just a residency application in pharmacy, because you were obviously planning on doing that yourself. Right. Yeah, so I think the there's obviously the general things. You need to focus on your GPA and MCAT, as well as get some solid leadership. Um, if, I'm, if I'm talking about residency, uh, I think having impressive leadership that, that shows that you're actively involved and that you're doing a lot is extremely important. Um, just based off of you know the experiences of myself and my friends who got residencies, I think that's really important. Um, as far as for med school, I think there's a slightly different focus here. I think the focus is now a lot shifting to uh, patient, direct patient care, interacting with patients, showing that you are a human. You know that's what they want to see, um, and I think that's really important. And it should be a huge focus if you are thinking about taking this path. Absolutely. And would you recommend students get involved in research? I know that was an important underpinning for your experience in pharmacy school. Do you think students should also be super involved in research? And leading up to that, how, how can students even find research in the first place? Yeah, so as far as finding research, you know, your school is a great place. Um, I know a lot of my friends did research rotations, um, and a lot of my friends ended up getting papers published. I as well published some papers uh, just by talking to the professors from both undergrad and from pharmacy school uh, and just starting to get into the lab like that. Um, and then there's also clinical opportunities that you can do simply just by, by talking to your professors. They, they want to help you. They, they want to see you do research. They want to see their students succeed. So that's something that they're going to be definitely uh, able to help get you involved with. Um, I do think that quality research that really shows a student's dedication is important. If you're just doing it to check off boxes, I think that's pretty obvious then. 
so maybe focusing on something else that you're really passionate about and can speak to would be best because I, I don't think just kind of, you know, going, going halfway through any research project just to say I did research is a good way to, uh, to distinguish yourself because, you know, everybody's doing that. That's a great point. And I think one of the, the biggest things I've learned personally in my experience with research is there, there's nothing that turns you away and makes you more disinterested in doing research than signing up for a project that you're not passionate about or not interested in. I, I've made the mistake just in medical school recently, and it's it can really weigh you down. It can really take away from the, the, the joy of, of furthering the medical pathway. So um, that's just, I think, an important thing. Don't just sign up for every project that you find. You know, if you're struggling to find a project, then you might have to settle for what you find. But at the same time, don't sign up for something that you're not going to put your full heart into because you're, you're never going to move the ball down the field. Mm, yes. All righty. So let's take a few minutes to talk about this very interesting uh, BMO Academics article. Um, and so the article posits that specialized health science majors, which would include pharmacy, has one of the lowest acceptance rates to medical school at only 36.7% getting accepted. While this metric is not exclusively representative of pharmacy applicants, because there's other individuals mixed into that, that uh, data set. I'm perplexed as to how these higher level graduates with far more clinical education are missing the ball when it comes to applying to medical school. In my experience, I think this lack of success in the application cycle really stems from a lack of application guidance. How difficult was it for you to piece together everything, especially without having the guidance of a pre-med committee or curriculum? Yeah, it was such a confusing process. Again, I, I really have to thank you and Bryce and Reddit um, <laughs> for understanding how to even get everything done on time and sending things to the right places and whatnot. Um, I think guidance from professionals who have done this many times before would have made life a lot easier and a lot less stressful. Uh, I know I tried to reach out to Duquesne's, uh, uh, Duquesne's pre-med guidance counselors and they helped me a little, but unfortunately, uh, they needed people in the pre-med track. But what little information they were able to give me, it was quite helpful to determining you know, my next course of action. And I think um, just knowing how to make your application more competitive and looking for the ways to improve yourself in the manner that we talked about before with regards to uh, showing your uh, patient care abilities and interacting with more patients. I think that's, that's really something that would be valuable information to have earlier. And I, I love how you brought up that you went and actually spoke with the pre-health committee. So you weren't just basing everything off of online resources, which you can certainly do for our mm -hmm. listeners, but it's also super important to reach out to the resources that you have, especially if you're still in pharmacy school, this wouldn't be as practical if you're outside of pharmacy school. Mm -hmm. If you're still in pharmacy school, I would recommend you definitely reach out to your pre-health committee and see if you can get a meeting with them. Even if they give you a packet of information that can help lay out the format for you, that, that can be the extra edge that you need to make sure that you are on time with your applications and make sure that you are actually getting an acceptance to medical school. Um, and a lot of people will ask me too is, well, I, I approach the pre-med committee and they want me to sign up for the pre-med courses and, you know, fall into their, their particular curriculum. It's going to cost X amount of dollars to add these extra credits. And that's where I start to draw the line and say, well, how much how much benefit are you really going to get from that? You might get a committee letter, 
but you're also going to have to pack in extra classes, extra costs when it might not be necessary, especially with all the resources available online these days. So that's something that's more of a, a niche topic that we can talk about in later at a later time. But anyways, that's my two cents on the matter. Um, so was there anything you wish you had known prior to applying that might have made you a little bit more competitive or I guess made your life a little bit easier? Yeah, I mean, other than what I talked about before with regards to, you know, just making myself uh, more uh, competitive with the extracurriculars that I did, I think just knowing how generic my application essay was going to be would probably have been good. I I was one of those people who wrote about a sick family member. And, you know, granted, that's a sad thing, but uh, there's probably a lot of other people who wrote about that. And I think that was probably one of the things in my profile that was uh, pretty weak, if I have to be honest with myself. Yeah, and self-reflection is super important. And I, I can't argue, I, I can't defend myself either by saying I had a super unique take on on uh, my personal statement either. So uh, definitely having a very well-drafted and complete and concise, almost like your constitution of who you are mm -hmm. as as a, a medical student, as an applicant, as a pharmacy student, I think that's super important. So having something that really makes you stand out and outside of being like the cookie cutter applicant uh, can go a long way when it comes to the medical school application process. Considering there's 53,000 applicants every single year, there's got to be something to, to help these students stand out. All right. <clears throat> and all right, so let's talk a little bit about your first year of medical school. So you're almost done with your first year. You mentioned you have about a month left. How has it been so far? And was anatomy really as tough as everyone claims? <laughs> yeah, anatomy was uh, a whole other beast. Uh, I think really, though, the biggest adjustment was the workload. You know, in pharmacy school, it's not like I wasn't used to studying a lot, but I was used to having uh, some breaks every so often and feeling caught up. In med school, the first semester at least, I felt like I was barely keeping my head up above the water the whole time. Even now, uh, sometimes you know I feel like I'm just I'm not keeping up with what I need to do. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, anatomy was—it's <laughs> something else. You know, I didn't realize just how much anatomy there was. And I'll be honest, I kind of forgot that there was a whole like musculoskeletal world that went beyond drugs. You know, to me, like broken bones were like pain meds, some antibiotics, maybe dealing with the patients, uh, their comorbidities. But I didn't realize just how much of medicine was beyond my scope. Yeah, it's it's funny. In pharmacy school, they're like, well, this is the deltoid muscle. But that's all I really know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. outside of that. And now I find out there's like 15 different muscles just in that area and around. So it's just a funny observation. And it's something too, in reality, like we don't get a lot of experience that I'd say that's the one part of pharmacy school that doesn't really help quite a bit mm -hmm. is that there's no baseline anatomy training, we, we have like a fundamental anatomy course. Uh, and this might be different for each pharmacy school. Um, but my, in my experience, I, I definitely had some, some issues with anatomy too, just because I'm sitting here looking at content that I've never even seen before with the absolute sheer volume of every single nerve and artery in the body that I'm trying to memorize. And then I'm sitting next to one of my peers who has a very different background and is a, a PhD in anatomy. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it can be a little stressful and um, you have like a little bit of imposter syndrome because you come from pharmacy and all these clinical rotations and you're a top dog and you're about to be a pharmacist and then you get 
sent back into the anatomy lab and it's a very humbling experience. So I, I'd agree with you. <laughs> um, and a popular question I get is, how does medical school compare to pharmacy school? The answer to this question is going to be obviously slightly different on, you know, depending on each individual program. However, I do think that they're very similar in academic rigor. I think there, there is slightly more volume, like you mentioned. Um, and so I think a, a reason for that is that it's interesting that most like class competition increases dramatically in comparison to pharmacy school. I think this primarily stems from the fact that 100% of medical school students need to merit a residency position in contrast to pharmacy, which only about 50% are competing for some of these positions. So how important is having a collaborative medical school class? And when does it come, I guess, when it comes to stress management and student welfare, how important are those things? It's so important. Um, you know, if I didn't have the friends that I've made in med school to lean on and learn from, I would not be nearly as successful as I've been. I was able to study with people and have other people to talk to who understood what I was going through. Um, because, you know, a lot of people aren't actually going to understand what you're going through with med school. And without them, I think I just would have felt really isolated uh, and confused just, you know, sitting at home studying for hours every day. Uh, another thing was the great upperclassmen who we have, they're really dedicated to providing us resources and giving us good advice. Um, so trying to figure out everything on your own is just too hard and takes it takes way too long to make that adjustment if you're trying to figure it out. So having those people around you who either know what they're doing already, if they're older, or who can help work with you to figure it out is really invaluable. I'd agree entirely. And for our listeners, if you're ever stuck between two medical schools at the end of the day and you have to choose, go to the one that has a collaborative experience, one that has students that you really vibe with, um, because it's going to make all the difference with your whole experience. You're going to be so much happier. You're going to be so much more successful versus going to a program that's going to be much more cutthroat, um, you know, unless unless you're one of those people who enjoys that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I kind of... Going back to my question I, I mentioned uh, in the previous prompt, but how, how would you say medical school compares to your pharmacy experience? You, you kind of prefaced this a little bit, but can, do you mind exploring that a little bit more for us? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. It's, it's absolutely not harder content-wise. Um, it's just more stuff to learn. You know, you, Instead of just learning about the drugs, you're learning about everything. It kind of makes sense that it's going to be a little bit more. Also, it's squished into a, a shorter amount of time, two years versus three years of didactic and then two years of rotation. Um, you know, as far as the, the, my classmates, you know, I feel that I'm in a good place to be uh, a competitive applicant for residencies. Um, I, I think just really making the adjustment to the workload, that was the most difficult thing. But once you can do that, and I think most people from pharmacy school will have a good background with regards to how much we need to study. Um, I think the adjustment isn't more than just learning that I need to spend a little bit more time while studying for everything. Awesome. And is there anything you think pharmacy school did better or vice versa when it came to your education? <laughs> uh, this might sound obvious, but farm. <laughs> right? Surprisingly, like, that's not as obvious, though, for, for a lot of people listening in. That's so true, yeah. Talk, talk a little bit more about that for me. <laughs> I mean, now I know, you know why there can be so much disconnect between pharmacists and physicians. Uh, you know, I, I, I see what we're learning in farm school versus what we're learning in my pharmacy classes at 
uh, my school and I realized that it's kind of a whole different focus and a whole different world of what you're what you're aiming to do um, with regards to the pharmacy education. And so I hope in the future to maybe be able to bridge that gap and improve patient care by fostering understanding on both sides of the differences in our education and seeing how we can work together better to make uh, better out outcomes for our patients, but really, it's it's uh, it's been surprising to learn what we do and what we don't learn in in uh, my farm courses. Yeah, like everyone complains in, in medical school when uh, every single drug shows up, they're like, "Oh my gosh, another pharmacy question!" I get so excited because <laughs> they're and the crazy thing is is that they're not as common as you would think. Medical students, at least in my experience, don't receive. Uh, quite enough, in my opinion, uh, uh, medical and pharmacy uh, knowledge when it comes to applying the the pharmacy and the drugs. They they learn that like uh, atorvastatin exists, okay, mm -hmm. but <laughs> now what? Well, let's talk about all the other statins. What do we do when the patient has myopathies? Like all these second line principles and, and optimization of care are completely overlooked, at least exactly. in the first two years of the medical school education. I can't speak on the next two years because I'm, I'm not there yet, but. Um, I'm, I'm sure you have like similar experience. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. Even down to the, my, my school does a patient or problem-based learning. So we have cases and just down to the cases that we get with, with the drugs, the, the cases might've been written like 20 years ago and the drugs are so outdated. Sometimes we don't even use them anymore or they're putting, <laughs> you know, they're putting a heart attack patient on 10 milligrams of a tortoisatin and then the patient drops their LDL by, you know, like 70%. And it kind of, it, I, under, I understand, you know, this is the first year of med school, but I, I feel like it sets up a, uh, an unrealistic expectation in the minds of some students if they don't have somebody there telling them that this is not the way that these drugs work. Oh, yeah, like the patient has hyperlipidemia. I put them on a torvastatin. I'm done. My job's done. Check the box. <laughs> exactly. But there's so much more that goes into it, and I think mm -hmm. pharmacists appreciate that. And I also love how you brought up that that is one of the issues and the disconnect between the two professions, just because I don't think a lot of pharmacists or a lot of uh, medical students even understand how extensive the pharmacy education really is. I talk with a lot of my peers and they say, oh, that's cool. You're a pharmacist. What does that mean? <laughs> you know, and I'm surprised at how little of them really understand the depth, despite being so clinically knowledgeable and relatively exposed to the healthcare setting. So I think that's also just an interesting observation I've seen. <clears throat> All right. So how, how do you decompress after a long day of studying? I guess, what do you like to do outside of school that keeps you sane? <laughs> Yeah, um, oof, I might not be the best person to ask this, but you know, sometimes I'll I'll just sit down after a day, and I've gotten into chess um, over over COVID. Kind of got into chess, and I I just play chess. Uh, whenever I eat, eating is kind of like my I, I like to enjoy my food. Uh, so I sit down and I eat, and I don't do anything. Like some people watch like ninja nerd videos or lectures. I'll, I'll just watch TV when I eat, and just you know chat with my friends and my family whenever I can. And then after exams, uh, usually my friends and I will go out and enjoy our evening. Wonderful. And I love how you mentioned uh, chess because I, it must be some kind of first first year medical student phenomenon where all, all first years love to play chess. Or maybe it's just <laughs> a bunch of pharmacy nerds like ourselves. But I, I, I got into chess actually the same time period. I still play casually, but not, not anything crazy. It's just a, a fun exercise outside of, outside of the medical realm. 
Awesome. So what are you looking forward to most in medical school? I'm really looking forward to rotations. Um, I, I remember in pharmacy, I, I really did so much learning on my rotations. Uh, I felt like going into them, I didn't know anything. And then coming out, I knew so much more, I felt like. And so I know that it's going to be a very different experience. Uh, I, I, I hear that med, med school rotations are much more intense um, because these do end up impacting your grades for residency. But I'm still really excited to see where I end up for my rotations and to see, you know, what I can learn from them and how I can actually start applying what I have in my pharmacy background to my new medical school education. And I'm not sure you you would agree with me or not. I'm I'm sure you have a similar mindset, but I, I would say that it was a little frustrating going back to school. Um, going from the clinical setting on the appy rotations and having all this hands-on experience and having the medical knowledge, you know, astute to take the naplex within the next couple of days. And then I come to medical school and medication knowledge, all that extra knowledge is, is so far kind of going on onto the wayside. I'm starting to lose and I'm having trouble retaining it because I'm putting in all this new information. And I definitely would say that it's a little frustrating because we don't use all this, this knowledge and we're back in the classroom instead of basically we're back on the leash and we're not out there in the, in the healthcare world making clinical decisions and, and learning you know, hands-on. No, I mean, I completely agree with that. It's very frustrating. Uh, you know, when, I, when I come across a drug and somebody asks me, oh, Tip, you're a pharmacist. What's the mechanism for this drug? I can't even I can't even begin to think of it. I'm like, ah, you know, this is in this class. And all this knowledge that I used to have is just falling out of my brain, I feel like, at a pace that I can't even keep up with. Um, and so, you know, it's just a constant battle to try to look up what I, you know, what I'm forgetting and try to hold what I what I do remember in my head. Yeah, I think we're under unique circumstances, too, because we're kind of blending the two fields together with all this extra knowledge from both sides. <laughs> and I think, too, the, the question, uh, and I might get burned at the stake for saying this, but I, I don't think that pharmacy mechanisms are, are super important. Uh, obviously, agree. there's certain drug classes that you have to be aware of, and you got to make sure uh, you, you understand the pathophysiology of it, especially from a medical school standpoint. But at the same time, you know, when you just mentioned that that classmates asking, oh, what's the mechanism of this? Well, what's the matter? I, I know exactly when exactly. to use this medication and all the side effects and how to manage this patient's, you know, oh, they now they have myopathies. Let's figure out a treatment like algorithm to optimize that. Or how can we reduce polypharmacy, not add mm -hmm. more mechanisms? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's that's the frustrating thing, you know, because uh, I, I've had, you know, you have these working mechanisms in your head you might not know the exact enzyme or, or you know kinase that this drug works with but it doesn't matter <laughs> and uh you know unfortunately that's not something that people realize and you kind of mentioned it before you get kind of like this imposter syndrome like you're you're this pharmacist you know you come with all this clinical knowledge yet why don't why don't i even know you know how whatever drug works and it's 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 a little it's a little frustrating to get thrown back into that when you haven't needed to think about it for so long. <laughs> I, I got a question the other day on PCSK9 um, <laughs> inhibitors, and I sat there and I was just like, "Oh my gosh, I should know this." <laughs> but again, it's it's such something so rare that you, you don't see it too much, especially in the medical school curriculum. So I, I saw it. I was like, "Oh, geez, <laughs> imposter." Mm -hmm. But anyways, 
<clears throat> so last time we talked, you mentioned that you were interested in finding a casual pharmacist position to work on the side while in medical school. I was wondering, have you been working? And I guess, well, are there other upsides to doing this besides the added income? Yeah, so I haven't been working uh, like full-time or part-time or anything. Obviously, there's just really no time for that. I've been picking up shifts occasionally at a friend's independent pharmacy. And over the summer, I'm hoping to maybe find another job and or just increase the hours that I work at their pharmacy um, over the summer. Uh, there's definitely benefits to working. As we just talked about, if you don't use your knowledge, you lose it. And it's just so true. I find my co myself constantly forgetting all these things. And I think working helps you to constantly get that reminder uh, you know you can run through what's this brand generic when you pull a drug or you know you can see the doses and that's how you learn doses easily and it also helps keep you updated to the changes in our field which is you know there's always things changing and if you don't keep updated you're going to fall behind so quickly yeah that's a that's a great point i i think like just keeping your feet wet and making sure that you're you're used to all, all the medications that you see it's going to help you you know, far down the line, especially when it comes to your clinical residence or clinical rotation, excuse me, uh, just having that like baseline knowledge and that you've refreshed through your employment, I think is a great, you know, a great thing. And additionally, it's also just nice to, to talk with other pharmacists and other individuals in the pharmacy world, because uh, medical school is it's pretty uh, intense and you come you come across a lot of people with different backgrounds, but very few people understand or appreciate the the kind of uh, training you've had. A lot of my peers are, you know, traditional undergraduates who who've never done like doctorate level work, and not they're doing fantastic in school. Don't get me wrong, but just having someone who has that shared trauma to, to talk about it, it's always nice. <laughs> yeah. All right. So lastly, have you started looking into summer research project? I, I know you just mentioned that you were going to be working a little bit more. Um, is that something on your on your radar? Yes, it is. Um, you know, it was actually surprising to find out just how important or rather, you know, for certain residencies, maybe less important it is to do research. But I am uh, looking into doing research actually with a uh, physician that you're having as a guest on this podcast later. Oh, wonderful. Who is it? <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Smith. Oh, no kidding. That's, that's yeah. amazing. Love that. Um, so I'll have to ask him about that one now we do the show. <laughs> we'll see what we get by the uh, by the time he's recording. <laughs> All righty. So we're coming to the final few minutes of our show today, and I, I want to ask you a few closing questions. So what specialty are you currently considering? I know it's pretty early, but it never hurts to start thinking about it. I, I already am thinking that you might be interested in a particular topic just because of the research you just mentioned, but uh, I'll let you answer. <laughs> yeah, so uh, as, as you'll find out, I'm Right now, I think my goals are probably ID, um, but you know, as my whole career pathway has shown, things do change. So I'm just kind of looking forward to see what the future holds, and we'll see where I end up. I love that you have a already a, a sound foundation into what you're you're interested in. Not to say that it's the worst thing in the world, but I, I'm pretty undecided right now, and I, I wish I could really hone in on something. But I've, I've been holding my breath until rotation starts. So yeah. I got to figure out something soon, considering my residency applications are due in a, a year or so. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> all right. So, how do you think having a pharmacy degree will help with your ability to practice medicine or communicate with patients in the future? Yeah, it's, it's really going to be invaluable. I think uh, not only do we have all this drug knowledge that will help us with counseling and with correctly choosing the doses and optimizing patients' medications, you know, without having 
to go through a pharmacist first, you know, telling us, hey, maybe this is a better choice or maybe you should adjust this. We'll be able to do that hopefully upfront um, with what we know. Um, but not only that, it's just understanding uh, the workflow of a pharmacy and even how insurances work, uh, which is something I think that a lot of physicians don't really know too much about just based off of my interactions from uh, working in a pharmacy. Um, I think that's something that can cause a lot of confusion and disruption to patient care and the patient experience. And I think that's something really valuable that we're going to bring with us having uh, worked in a pharmacy for so long. We're going to be able to know kind of intuitively what things are covered, what things are not, and so on and so forth. That's a fantastic point to bring up. Um, I know we're getting to the end of our show, but what a, what a great point. A lot of physicians are, are definitely uh, oblivious to how the the pharmacy runs itself. And I mean, uh, we can't blame them. Why, why would they know? You know, they've never even been down in the, in the pharmacy. And some of them are tucked away in odd places in the hospital or um, you know, depending on what kind of clinical setting you're at, they might be in different areas that are not so easily found. And I think that's just something, a, a good way that we could potentially broach this issue between physicians and, and pharmacists is showing them exactly what kind of, you know, environment we're working in. This is the mm -hmm. workflow, like you mentioned. This is how we verify orders. This is why it took 45 minutes because there was an error and, and so on. So um, I just love that at that point. And I guess for individuals considering medical school after pharmacy school, what is what are one or two things you would share with them based on your experiences so far? Yeah, uh, I think one of the biggest things is to, if you're planning on working, or honestly, I think it's just a good idea to get licensed regardless, but make sure you do all of that before you start school. Actually, I took my Naplex before we started, but I ended up taking my Naplex uh, after the first semester and trying to study for, or I'm sorry, I took my MPJE after the first semester and trying to study for that on top of school is so difficult. So just make sure you get everything done up front. If you have to travel a little to take a test, it might be worth it. Um, that's, that's one big thing I think that students should do um, if they're planning on working at all. And then just, you know, it, it, you've done, depending on your program, I did six years of pharmacy school uh, or six years of school beforehand and then came straight into med school. Just remember why you went down this path when it gets tough. You know, it's it's hard to keep that in mind sometimes when you're drowning in schoolwork. But, you know, remember your goals, remember what you're working to, and remember it's it's going to go by a lot quicker than you think. Yeah, it's crazy just reflecting back, like just how fast this this past year has gone. It yeah. just seems to accelerate even faster and faster. So every year, a lot of good advice in there. But alrighty, so we've come to the end of our interview. And I'd like to thank all of our listeners for the support. If you have any additional questions about the medical school journey, check out my website at www.physicianpharmacist.com. Before we let you go, Dr. Tim Du, how do you, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, myself is pretty open. You can give me a text, uh, just, you know, introduce yourself and let me know who you are. Otherwise you'll be marked as spam. Um, but it's 951-746-0957. That's probably the easiest way to contact me. Um, alternately, you can contact me at t.farmdo, t.p-h-a-r-m-d-o at gmail.com. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Tim. I look forward to seeing where medicine and pharmacy take you. 
Have a wonderful night and thanks again.